76 of the Church Bibles. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John, chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Jesus teaches about the vine and the branches, calls us friends, gives us an important command and speaks to us so that our joy may be full. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does bear no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is the gospel of Christ. It's good to be here again, um, but my wife does send her apologies that she's not able to be here with me this morning. Um, she did her back in the other day, 
uh, pulled something or other, and uh, so uh, I don't think she'd find it very comfortable to sit for too long. And uh, I can go on a bit, so. <laughs> it, uh, it's good to see you again. Um, since I saw you last, I've had a bit more metal put in me. And I've got two tin knees now, as well as uh, a tin hip. So there's enough metal in me now to build a model. Yeah. Let's bow our heads in prayer for a moment, shall we? Lord Jesus Christ, give us eyes to see you, hearts to love you, and lives to live for you. And we ask it for your name's sake. Amen. I wonder what makes you happy. Some people like to get drunk on a Friday night. Although, why anyone should want to do that and then spend the rest of the, rest of the weekend um, feeling sick with a splitting headache, I can't really understand. I always remember my old vicar when I was a curate in Hereford used to say um, that uh, it was like this, champagne the night before and real pain the morning after. <laughs> a pointless exercise, isn't it? <laughs> Some people like to go on holiday. Most of us do, in fact. And, but what makes you happy on a holiday varies very much indeed. Some people just like to sit in the sun, on the sand, uh, by the sea, or go swimming. Others like to explore new places. And Sheila and I had a nice little holiday for um, three or four days in North Wales a couple of weeks ago, riding on some of the little narrow-gauge steam trains in Snowdonia. Great fun if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Some people enjoy user of uh, computer and tablet. <laughs> Making things would come high on the list of things that make me happy. DIY, radio and electronics, growing plants, especially prickly ones that uh, grow in the Arizona desert, visiting um, children and grandchildren meeting with other Christians and worshipping with them and, and reading the Bible together. All these sort of things would come pretty high up on the list of things that make me happy. But when you look in the Bible, you can't escape feeling that perhaps happiness and joy are slightly different uh, in the, in, uh, from what we experience in 2019. I mean, for example, if you read Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes there is a very, very different feel. The Good News Bible uses the word happy in uh, the Beatitudes. Usually the word that we use is blessed. Uh, but it's the same Greek word, uh, makarios, uh, which means either blessed or happy, and it's translated both ways in the New Testament. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are persecuted. Happy are you when people insult you. Not usually the stuff that we would reckon uh, that would make us happy, is it? Many of the things that uh, make uh, people happy nowadays, I believe that one of the dangers of modern thinking um, today is that we can become so obsessed with how we feel about things. Does this or that activity make us feel good? If it doesn't, I'll stop it. And that's led to all kinds of problems in society. Commitment can mean very little nowadays sometimes. We can be committed to our marriage partner for as long as it feels right. If it stops feeling right, we can always end it. 
we can follow this or that latest religious fad. And all the time that it feels right to me, we uh, keep doing it. Whether it teaches truth or fairy stories is of secondary importance to some people. If uh, we're at the mercy of our feelings only. It's no wonder, I wonder if you noticed, in 2016, the Oxford Dictionaries described the, uh, the word of the year as post-truth. And uh, post-truth apparently means um, that in some areas of life, subjective emotions and how we feel about things are now far more important than the objective truth or reality of something. What a sad comment on uh, life today in the 21st century. To me, whether it's true of happiness, their main goal in life. I feel particularly sorry for people like that, because although it often seems to work well for a while, sooner or later, everything becomes hollow. Life loses its sparkle, and we can suddenly be faced with the unhappy realization that we may, we may well have wasted our lives. I believe that true happiness and true joy come from God, and they come from his love, as we read in our lesson. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. True happiness is always a byproduct of doing what God wants, I believe. Seeking happiness for its own sake is a bit like trying to chase the end of the rainbow. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. It can't be done. As you go after it, it retreats from, from you at the same speed. You can never get to it because there's nothing actually there. What you see is an optical illusion, and it's created by sunlight being diffracted by drops of rain. And perfect happiness is something which is always just out of reach. You know, rather like the sign in a pub, I don't know if you've ever seen that, it says, uh, free beer tomorrow. <laughs> God and happiness are not words that most people think of in the same sentence. C.S. Lewis had something to say about that in his book, Surprised by Joy. I expect some of you have read it. And he said, not the slightest hint was vouchsafed me that has ever been or ever would be any connection between God and joy. That's why he was surprised. <laughs> Christians haven't always been helpful in giving the right kind of message, though, about um, what true joy is all about. When I was a child, I was told that you must only whisper in church if you speak at all, and you must never, ever whistle. Why would God be upset if I whistled, I used to wonder. <laughs> People don't whistle nowadays, but they did when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm reminded of the sidesman who stood outside the church and before a service, inviting passers-by to come into the service to join them. And someone looked at his long face and said, no thanks, I've got enough trouble of my own already. <laughs> the writers of our liturgy um, had it right um, centuries ago. And one of the responses in morning and evening prayer not many of us um, remember that nowadays. And make thy chosen people joyful. We used to sing it when I was a curate, when I was first ordained. Uh, <laughs> Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, though, joy was one of the marks of worship. Psalm 66, verse 1. Praise God with shouts of joy, all people. 
Dancing, clapping, shouts of joy were all part of Old Testament worship. And I guess uh, for some churches <laughs> in New Testament times as well. At my first church, uh, where I was the curate at Emmanuel Stoughton in Guildford, uh, there was an old chap there. Well, he's probably not that old. He's probably younger than I am now. <laughs> uh, he could best be described, I suppose, um, speaking kindly as uh, a bit eccentric. And in those days, we used to sing psalms uh, to chants. But, the, but if the psalm said, shout for joy, dear old Harold would do just that and make everybody jump out of their skin. But he took it very literally, and I don't blame him for that. When Jesus was born, too, the angels announced good news, which would bring great joy to all the people. And again, in the, uh, the 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, must have sounded pretty happy uh, for passers-by to think that they were drunk. <laughs> and when Philip preached the good news in Samaria, the result, we're told, in that city, there was great joy. And in Acts 13, we really should be going together. Holy Spirit, God with us, Jesus' presence in us, brings joy. In spite of the fact that officials there had thrown Paul and Barnabas out of the region, and they were very opposed to the followers of Jesus, but there was joy. And of course, it's in Galatians 5, we read that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And... That's what narrows, that's what happens when somebody is a real Christian and God's spirit is really within them. We could say that joy is the result of true happiness, which means being blessed by God, his presence with us. And in our lesson in John 15, Jesus told the story about himself as the true vine uh, and that is, when we are connected with Jesus, we need to be joined to that vine, connected with Jesus, uh, to be fruitful. And he went on to say, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. So far, I haven't mentioned anything about sorrow. But in a strange way, very often sorrow and joy in the New Testament are very, very closely connected. But joy is the deep suffering and troubles or heartache. Joy can still be underneath all that. And one of the ways that our faith can not only be tested, but also strengthened, is by our reaction when troubles come. This is what um, Jesus had to say in John chapter 16, verse 20. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Jesus gives us a joy that no one can pinch. And again, in Hebrews chapter 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
and sat down at the right-hand side of God. Joy in sorrow, and all of us will face trouble and, uh, and sorrow. It's inevitable, it's part of life, and yet underneath it, there can be that deep joy that only Christ can give. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes about some of his experiences. He was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. 1 Peter chapter 4, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory of God rests on you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, too, Paul speaks about spiritual treasure in earthenware vessels, or common clay pots, uh, by which he means the Spirit of God dwelling, living in our mortal bodies. What does he mean by that? You can get different kinds of pots. Um, some might be very valuable, perhaps made of fine china, or even um, silver or gold. Pots are easily damaged and broken because they're soft and brittle. And when life knocks these pots around a bit, um, bits get broken off. The same is true of us. When life knocks us about a bit, we're easily damaged. Uh, and then the treasure within us is in danger of spilling out. But what is it that spills out uh, when we are bashed about by life? Is it rude words and anger? Or do others see a glimpse of the joy of the Lord which underpins our life? I'm not trying to be judgmental for anybody. Yeah, heaven only knows I'm in no position to do that. I'm simply trying to say it like it is, as Paul says it. In fact, Paul seems to have had um, very, very tough times uh, in the New Testament as we read his letters. Twice in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says that he's not discouraged. And uh, I try to read between the lines sometimes when I'm reading the Bible. And reading between the lines, it says to me that he actually came perilously close to actually being discouraged. Otherwise, I don't think he would have felt the need to say that he wasn't, um, he was, uh, he wasn't discouraged. He wouldn't have felt the need to say that. Joy and sorrow are meant to be things which we share with others. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, <coughs> excuse me. If one part of, you, of the body suffers, all other parts suffer with it. If one part is praised, all the other parts share its happiness, we read. In 1 John chapter 1, speaks, John speaks about his joy being complete because of the fellowship he shares with his readers. A joy shared is a joy doubled. Sometimes uh, when Sheila and I are at home, I might be watching the television and as like as not, Sheila will have, his, have her back to the television set, fiddling about um, tracing ancestry on her computer. Uh, <laughs> and suddenly I see something which thrills me. 
Maybe it's a cactus um, plant in the desert, or perhaps it's a vintage aeroplane, something like that. And I shout out, hey, Kanga, look at that. Even though I suspect that she's not going to share my enthusiasm for it, but I want to share it nevertheless. Sharing Christian joy and what, uh, what it is that makes us joyful multiplies the experience, I believe, for everyone. We don't see the things that uh, so many, make so many people happy nowadays when we read the New, T New Testament, though. I can't recall ever reading in the or how a holiday by the Red Sea or the Mediterranean coast gave people a boost in their lives. That may well be true. It does. I've had, I enjoy holidays myself. But in fact, the only bit of the New Testament that speaks about owning things uh, is rather dismissive. Jesus speaks in rather scathing terms uh, of somebody uh, who was wealthy, had, uh, had barns with all his produce. You fool, Jesus said. Where are you, uh, when you uh, and your new barns and stored harvests? Where are they going to get you? This night, your life is required of you. And again, too, he said, a rich man will find it hard to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not, not impossible, but hard. True happiness, true joy, I believe, comes from a, a relationship with God himself who made us. And for that to be meaningful, we really do have to give it all that we've got. Uh, and the way that society is changing in the Western world, we must never forget that it's entirely possible that the day may come when it really will take all that we've got to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember Jesus' parable about the pearl of great price? A merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything that we are and everything that we've got. And Jesus spoke too about our attitude to money and really saying the same thing, I think, in a slightly different way. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. To really experience the true joy which Jesus brings, it takes all that we are, and it really is our inheritance, though. Joy is something that God gives freely, but uh, we must be ready to sacrifice everything to really uh, know it in all its fullness. The Westminster Confession of Faith states that the chief end of man is to worship God and to enjoy him forever. So my prayer for you folk, and for myself and my family as well, is that our joy may be full as we know the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the fruit of the Spirit, joy, and we thank you that that joy is closely connected with you your love, your presence, and your lordship in our lives. Lord, we pray that as we go into this new week, we may be very conscious of your presence with us day by day, guiding us and leading us, 
and protecting us. So, Lord, we pray that we may know more and more of your presence and your joy in our lives. And we ask it for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen.